It's great to have you, Paul. This is a different uh, setting for us here at Living Spring. We don't typically do this. Normally, I'm giving an incredibly aspiring message. Um, <laughs> that's great. They're laughing pretty hard. Yeah, so. they do. Um, but I, I wanted to end the video there because uh, I, I read the book, A Certain Risk, and, and Paul is not a promoter. This is not a book tour. He's not here promoting his book. As a matter of fact, it was like pulling teeth to get him to bring some books to buy. Um, but it I was like pulling teeth to go on the 700 Club. <laughs> I was so far out of my comfort zone. <laughs> tell, tell him the story about uh, right before, like four seconds before you went on, what oh, they did I to you. I don't know. I, was just, I think they knew I, was, I felt like a fish out of water. I'd, be, uh, I'd rather be out in the jungle drilling a well or something like that. And here I am <laughs> Me going on too. TV. Mm, yeah. But, uh, you know, a few seconds before the, the commercial ended and I'm about to go on live TV, you know, the guy says, button your coat up. And so I'm quickly buttoning my coat and I'm just feeling so <laughs> uncomfortable sitting in that chair. Oh, man. Uh, but it was, it, I feel like uh, it turned out okay. Yeah, guess, it was great. But, it was great. I loved yeah. it. Hey, so... Um, so I read the book, and you know, at first you read a book that your friend writes because what in the world? It does it's not want me It's to the speak. power of God. Uh, that, no, not that one. The one below it. Right there. Turn that thing. Yeah, there you go. Cool. It's not going to work? Okay. You know what I'm going to do? I'm I'd like you to hold right that. Yeah, that would be great. Um, so I, I read the book because my friend wrote the book, right? And as I'm reading it, it's just blowing me away at how this fits so much into um, where we are as a church. And we've just gone over our mission statement to reach, to restore, and respond. And, and as we ended up with respond, uh, I, I read this book, and I'm like, the entire book is about responding to the Spirit's voice. And so we ended the video there with you saying that God is always with me. And... Um, you know, we all know that as Christians, and even if you're new here and, you, you know, you believe in God, there's kind of this belief that God is everywhere, He's in everything. We all know that, but in the book, you talk about it at such a deeper level. Would you kind of share with us wh where, you're, where you, you were going with yeah. that? Yeah, you know, there, so as I mentioned earlier, this event took place in, our, in my family's life on the day we're getting ready to go overseas. And now as I look back on it, that is not a coincidence. It's that God had to show me something because I was going into a place of mystery, a place that was a little bit more dangerous uh, than where I had been before, and, and a place that would require me to navigate my days with a much deeper level of faith and trust. And in, a, in, a, uh, in being tuned in to God's voice and following mm -hmm. him. Otherwise, it would have been impossible for me to survive there. And so um, God brought this event into our lives as a family in order to reveal to us uh, that he's with us and that no matter where I go, no matter where, where I take my family, uh, that he's going to walk with us mm. and that we can trust him. And so um, what, uh, you know, you, you closed off the video there. I didn't, I didn't share the ending of the story. Oh, we'll get to that. Don't right, share yeah. that end yeah. of the story okay. yet. I, I want them to be in suspense and kind of, you know, wonder you what's it. going on. Uh, but I wanted right. to read a quote uh, out of your book that I think really kind of brings this uh, around. It says, instead of seeing ourselves as the masters of our universe, which is, which is what we do in the American church, 
God simply calls us to open our eyes and become responsive to the astoundingly fruitful opportunities he sends in our direction moment by moment throughout the day. And, and that's really what the book is about, is about daily. I mean, we, we kind of went through this series called One Month to Live, but if, we, if I were to rename the book, it'd be like One Day to Live. I mean, you really articulate very well how we can look in our day and like have our eyes open moment by moment that you, you really expect God to speak to you, don't you? I do. And I, I wrote this book in the context or the understanding that a lot of us in our generation in Western Christianity, as it's expressed today, we sort of have this mentality that God did all these amazing things a long time ago. He created the world. He, he was involved in all these amazing stories that we read about in the scriptures, and he was there leading Abraham and guiding him. He was there with Daniel in the lion's den, protecting him. He was there for David, uh, strengthening him and, and helping him, you know, battle against a, a giant. But then after the Bible is closed, then, then there's this subtle belief that God just drifted away, Mm. that he stopped speaking, he stopped writing his stories, and he just drifted out of human history, and everything has gone into chaos ever since. Mm. And, And God had been awakening my heart to the realization that God is not only intimately involved in moving in human history, but at a deeply intimate and personal level, God invites me into this journey of faith where I'm yeah, listening to so his true. voice and walking with him and where every day, I, you know, I get the chance to rise up in celebration, in anticipation, knowing that God has something that he's leading me into and he's yeah. simply just calling me to step to the edge. It, it's, it's awesome. You, you, wrote, you wrote here, um, uh, I love it, 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 kind of going along those same lines. We ourselves have become the creator's dwelling places um, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about wherever we show up, God shows up. That was kind of the theme of that inspiring message that no one probably remembers. But uh, if the Spirit lives in you, every place you walk becomes the Creator's canvas. And I, I love that because it's not just so much um, everywhere we show up, God wants us to do something. But there's this idea that creativity is ready to burst forth as we listen to His voice. And Yeah, and, and I see that so much of my life has been... Uh, I have experienced my Christian faith sort of with this mentality that Christianity is a philosophy, that it's a philosophy in contrast with other philosophies, and that God himself is sitting on a throne in some distant place contemplating himself. <laughs> and, uh, and I have just awakened into a, a deeper understanding that God is the creator mm-hmm. and that he never ha- has ceased being the creator and he's, you know, as we open up his story about himself, the first thing that he tells us is that he's the creator, that he was surrounded by nothingness, by darkness, by emptiness, by this empty void, and that he didn't uh, remain just contemplating himself, but that he responded to this darkness, and he spoke, and he spoke these words of life and light, and he said, let there be light, and there was light, and he created and then God not only uh, created for six days and then rested, but that he began his work again on the eighth day. Uh, and that God is creating and breathing his life and beauty into the world and into our hearts and bringing redemption and hope and his love through us into the world around yeah. us. So it's, it's this idea of sort of reawakening into God as an artist uh, that has guided you know, a lot of 
of what I've written in the book here. Yeah, it's so cool. There's one more that goes along with that. Sorry. Uh, I was just, See, when you grow up with someone, you know, and then they write a book, you like, I picture this being written by the Paul that I went to high school with. So I was just like, whoa, really? Like, I don't, you know, I had to look up a bunch of words and stuff, <laughs> and it was pretty cool. Um, uh, our days are filled with hidden opportunities to play on the edge where God's grace touches the world's face. Let me, let me uh, b- before I comment on that a little bit, if you want to text questions to Paul, uh, we have a number that will show up pretty soon there. Uh, go ahead and text that. We have someone filtering those texts, so if you're trying to be funny and you're like, he didn't ask, ask why, you know, did John get a new haircut? <laughs> okay, that won't make it through. That's why. So uh, I wouldn't dare put my own cell phone number up on the board there. Uh, so we have someone, a mystery person, who will go through all these. And So make sure it's a good question or you're just texting for uh, just your own self, um, which is fine. Okay, so our days are filled with hidden opportunities to play on the edge. I, I love that. T- talk about that because your book is, is basically a certain risk, living your faith at the edge. I have just found that so much of my life has been spent uh, seeking out zones of safety. And really something within me, something within my nature uh, guides me, moves me towards places of comfort. And I remember when I was in eighth grade, and I went to junior high uh, with your wife, with Lisa. And you, you were in that eighth grade play, weren't you? Were you in that? Okay. So we had this eighth grade play. And, was that uh, Helen Keller? What was it? Flowers <laughs> for Algernon? What was it? Charlie? Well, Sorry, go ahead. Well, here's the thing. Is that the drama teacher approached me. I was this really <laughs> shy, you know, missionary kid from overseas, didn't really, you know, have a lot of friends, and, and the drama Wait, teacher you know? said, you know, could you come and be a part of this play? And I said, no, no way. The last thing I could imagine was myself being up in front of a lot of people. And so she said, come on, you can do it. I'll just give you a small role. And so, uh, so I went, I, I, I showed up at the drama practice, and she <coughs> said, okay, this is all you have to do. You just got to take this ladder, carry it onto the stage, climb up, pretend like you're changing a light bulb, say two lines, two lines only, then you climb down, carry the ladder off, and then that's it. So I said, okay, I think I can do that. So uh, that night I went home and I was, my soul was just filled with terror. Right? <laughs> I was terrified of this drama. And I just started, you know, I, I stayed awake all night long oh. just imagining the, la- you know, the ladder falling, me falling off the ladder, uh, forgetting my lines. Anyways, after several weeks of that anxiety, you know, I went back to this drama teacher and said, I'm sorry, I cannot be in the play. <laughs> she said, oh, I'm so sorry, Paul. You know, we'll, we'll find somebody else to do it. No, no problem. Well, here's the point is that a few weeks later, um, I was the only person in the eighth grade <laughs> who was not part of that play. And I went to the play. And, I, and the, the, the auditorium was dark. And I sat in the back row. And all my friends were up on the stage creating this amazing work of art. And the play was so funny, and everybody was laughing. It was so enjoyable. And I was sitting back there, and as a 13-year-old, I was having a conversation with God. And I said, my heart just cried out to God, and I said, Lord, here I am. All my friends are up there creating this work of art together, but I am sitting here because of my fear. Mm -hmm. And I said, Lord, 
if ever again you give me a chance to do something, I don't want my fear to prevent me from stepping into some, something that you're calling me to. And I said, from this point forward, um, no, matter, no matter how far it takes me out of my comfort zone, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to take that risk. And that image to me has shaped how I understand faith. Mm. And that faith is like this edge. It's like standing on the edge of this cliff. And we, with all of our hearts, we want to shrink back. We want to stand as far away from this edge as possible. But that God relentlessly uh, beckons us. He woos us. He calls us to the edge. And then he says, jump. Trust me. Try something. You know, I'm, be- I'm calling you to try something new, to step into something a little bit dangerous. Um, but we just don't know in that moment if we can trust God or not. And I've just found over and over again that when I take that jump, that God is there. He's ready to catch mm. me and carry me to a higher place. And so this whole book is sort of centered around this image of coming to this edge and then trusting, by, trusting God, living by faith, and then experiencing the adventures that God calls us into when, we're st- when we step off that cliff. Yeah, trust that's him. really great. And, and, you're, and, and, and in the book, you know, I was reading it. But by the way, don't, don't buy the book if, if you want to just have a nice read. I mean, I ripped out most of the pages I didn't like, and it's very small now uh, because it's extremely challenging and extremely convicting. And like I said, Paul didn't even want to bring his books, and I said, just bring the books. We'll sell them here. And he's like, eh. And I just said, bring the books. But he was doing me a favor, actually, by coming, so I didn't have much leverage. But this idea of um, this life on the edge, this idea of taking risk, I mean, it totally is outside of our American culture. I mean, we want comfort. We buy things for comfort. We retire in comfort. And it it pervades, this idea of taking risk even pervades how you read the scriptures. And I want to read another another thing about how you approach the scriptures. And what Paul was doing prior to this was he was writing about how when we see the Spirit of God move in the scriptures, it's rarely for comfort. And it's, it's, you know, when, when the Spirit moves, somebody spoke, somebody acted, somebody did something, somebody risked something. That, that there was some, that faith wasn't just they understood something, they did something. And so here's what Paul writes about the scriptures that I love so much. I wrote this down. How, how do these portrayals, these are the portrayals of people in faith, compare with casual musings over the Bible from a safe distance? kind of how we read our Bible sometimes, or how I read mine. Alive, active, penetrating, dividing, judging, bearing fruit in all the cosmos, creating, increasing life, overcoming, working, racing forward. Now listen, I love this. I separated it back there. It's not separated in the book. The Logos is not a handbook. Man, that is so, that is awesome. The, the, The Word of God is not a handbook. The Logos is the power of God spoken from His mouth, and transforming his own dreams into a living reality. I mean, what a way to read your Bible. <laughs> oh, I know. And, and, you know, these words, alive, and, and all these words here that, that I'm picking out are actually how the Bible itself describes the Logos, the Word of God. Uh, so for myself, too, I am just, you know, coming to a realization every day that this amazing book which God has entrusted to us is meant to be so much more than simply studied from an arm's length. 
It's meant to be so much more than read or understood intellectually, but it's actually meant to portray for us uh, a life of living your faith at the edge, a life that is walking in, in the spirit. And, you know, as we read of, uh, we, you know, we can open up this book and read of a little boy named Samuel who was lying asleep in his room and heard the voice of God speaking to him. And God said, Samuel, right? And so Samuel didn't understand. He didn't know what this voice was. And so he went out to Eli and, and finally after the third time, Eli said, just say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And as I read that, it's not just a story for my entertainment. It's a story that's inviting me into the realization that God speaks to us, that God speaks to children, Mm. and that he is moving. And this is what God does. It's not just what God did 2,000 years ago, but it's what God does now, that he whispers into the hearts of children and then gives us uh, as, uh, as adults, the chance to simply interpret that voice that God is speaking into their hearts. Yeah, that's so cool. There's a story in the book uh, about uh, Paul's daughter, Katie. And uh, I think I actually wrote down uh, what, yeah, it's on page uh, 180. And uh, it's really cool because uh, there was an earthquake. Well, why don't you share the story about the earthquake and when you came home, uh, uh, what, what, what happened? Yeah. My daughter was nine years old at the time. There was an earthquake that uh, shook a community uh, of cities and towns about three or four hours' drive from us. Uh, and thousands of homes were just uh, leveled by that. And so I began immediately working with several leaders of other organizations t- in order to form a response to that. And so I was on the phone. We were making plans to, to bring in blankets and food, rice, water. Uh, and get it on a bus and bring it out there as quickly as we could to these people. And my daughter, Katie, was standing there listening to me on the phone. And as soon as I hung up the phone, she said, Daddy, you know I'm going with you, right? <laughs> I said, I guess you are. So uh, Katie keeps a, a suitcase in her room at all times where she puts anything that she doesn't really need or use. And just in case she has a chance to give it to the poor. And so that's the kind of heart that she has. And so she came with us. And we drove to this area. She was the first one to jump off the bus, and she went out nine years old. She organized an art uh, time, and she handed out crayons and and colored pencils and paper and just invited these other children uh, to to draw what they had experienced in this earthquake. Mm -hmm. And she just was, you know, sharing God's love with these children, and she was up front. And so four days of that, um, you know, I just... Just even though we were totally exhausted, I was so proud of the way that my daughter uh, had just been alive and and even to the point of exhaustion that she had stepped out of her comfort zone and that we experienced this adventure of serving God and loving others mm-hmm. together as father and daughter. Yeah. And I just even as I was coming home from that trip, it it dawned on me. I sort of caught this picture about how our daddy, our father in heaven, just celebrates the chance when we rise up and say, God, I'm coming with you. Yeah, you know, so cool. You're going to respond to people's needs. You're going to respond to the cries of the human soul. You're doing things all over the world. You're doing things in my community, in my church. But I'm not going to be uh, just sitting and observing other people. I'm getting on that bus, and I'm going, 
to, to be a part of what you're doing. And I believe that just in the same way that I, I celebrated my daughter and uh, just reveled in seeing her come alive in that moment, God views us that same way. Oh, yeah, that's so cool. That's so cool. Nine years old. Man, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a, on the second day, she was uh, on her own in another village. And by the time she left, dozens of kids were singing, and then he's got something in Indonesian that I can't even, you know, blah, 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 blah. Okay. <coughs> but fortunately, he translated it for me because I'm an idiot. He says, Katie, uh, it says, farewell and thank you, Katie. Nine years old. She gets, she goes, and I, I, that, that was it. That was the connection I made is like so many times we have these opportunities to share with people around us and, and actually we sh- when we show up, God shows up and we say, all I have are these crayons, all I have is this color paper. But for Katie, she just knew God was going to do something and she, and she acted upon that. She took what she had, what little she had, and she gave it to the Lord. It reminds me of a little boy who came to Jesus and just said, I have a little bit of fish and bread. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that's cool. And, and that's how God works. It, he just, that, I mean, God celebrates that. He, he loves it. You know, he, I believe he just shouts in exaltation when we just come to him and, and say, what I have, what little I have in my hands, I'm just going to surrender it to you. Lord, can you possibly use this in some way? Mm-hmm. And God says, oh, yeah. Now, that's the step of faith. That's the mustard seed of faith he's waiting for. And he always uh, unleashes what little we're willing to give <coughs> in order to, to do great things through that. So That's cool. Yeah. Um, so it's not only kids. I, I, there's another quote in here that I, I love um, because, you know, we can all say, well, yeah, you know, come to him as a heart, you know, with the heart of a little child. But for us Americans, uh, and Paul's an American too, but for kind of the American church, because uh, uh, some of some of what we do is kind of foreign in in in, in a Muslim country. Um, is we think about retirement, we think about getting old, we think about uh, being useless, we think about uh, we get to a certain point and we get old and gray, and then we're not not um, uh, useful anymore. And uh, there was a there was a great quote in here uh, that I loved. It said, "If I ever get the chance to live so long that I walk with a cane or sit in a wheelchair." I want the moment of my death to be like the final stage of a rocket whose fire is lit on earth and explodes into the stratosphere of eternity. I mean, I just want to play golf for retirement, right? And, and, and yet, like, what, what, what is that? Ta- ta- unpack that for us a little bit. Uh, the, the context of that is my exploration of really what it means to walk in the Spirit. And I realized that so much of my life is consumed, focused on myself, both focusing on my own weaknesses, focusing on my inabilities, focusing on my, you know, health issues and lack of energy and all these kinds of things and doubting. And then, but also focusing on my own talents and strengths and, and the prideful things. But yet the whole time, God is inviting me to take my eyes off myself and to walk in the spirit, not by, you know, not by uh, power, you know, and but by my spirit, says the Lord. And that, you know, that scripture is really what I'm referring to, is learning to uh, take our focus off of our own limitations, but learning to trust in God and walk in his spirit and see God, you know, awaken into God and and allow him to work, and especially work through our weaknesses, Mm. which is one of the most amazing concepts that Apostle Paul writes about, is that God is our strength and our 
place of weakness. And so uh, as I am, you know, s since my 30s, now I'm into my 40s now, and I'm feeling, you know, less energy than I used to have. It I takes don't know a what lot. you're talking about. Yeah, I know. You're, you're superhuman. Yeah, right that, that's what it is. But for me, you know, I, I'm just feeling myself sort of over that hill and starting to feel the de deterioration. Um, and I guess you could call that a little bit of a midlife crisis, you know, right. that I've been through. But God's response to my midlife crisis is to remind me that for the rest of my life, even though my physical strengths will deteriorate, that I have the chance, the opportunity to rise and soar in the power of the Spirit. Amen. And that as my physical body deteriorates, this, the power of the Spirit of God uh, will continue to increase in my life. And so aging for me is actually an opportunity. Oh, that's it's awesome. A, it's, a, it's something that God brings into my future in order to reveal his glory in my life. Uh, that's cool. Hey, uh, so uh, we've been getting some texts, and uh, a lot of them are about, uh, you know, what happened to Josiah. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and uh, finish that story, because it's a, just a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal story. So we, we left off in the video where um, you, you kind of felt God's presence, and, uh, and you, you knew that God was with you wherever you went. Uh, so, so yeah, there was, you know, and again, the, the lady who was doing the interview was trying to get me to explain this moment. It's so hard for me to articulate. I try in the book to do the best I can, but that doesn't do it justice. But I did experience God's presence and had some sort of a vision. And so came up out of that. My brother was still trying to breathe oxygen in, in Josiah's lungs. Firefighters burst through the door and they immediately went to work. They saw the severity of the situation and they called for an airlift. And so just minutes later, uh, I was on a helicopter with my son and some firefighters flying over the city of Los Angeles towards Children's Hospital. And as the helicopter came down on the roof of Children's Hospital, these firefighters uh, leaped off of the helicopter even before it touched down. And they sprinted at full speed, ran into the emergency room, and the doctors went to work to try to save his life. And after several hours, uh, the leading physician came out to meet with my wife and I, and he said, uh, we've been trying to restore him, but here's the situation. He said, uh, if we were to take the respirator off of him, he would die immediately. He wouldn't breathe. He has, he's not breathing on his own. And we've done scans on his brain, and there, we found no response. And he said, the chances of his survival are remote. He said it would take divine intervention, and those are the words he used. It would take divine uh, intervention for him to live. But then he said even if he does live, he's going to have permanent brain damage. And so, um, but our, so of course, Cindy and I were devastated by this. But God was soon to show up in that situation. Mm -hmm. And he showed up through his body, through the church. And uh, people began praying. People <coughs> began leaving their workplaces and coming to Children's Hospital in response to our moment of desperation. And John, you were part of that day. Mm -hmm. You came to be with me and my family that day. And many others came. Over 100 people came to the hospital and stood around in the uh, waiting room mm -hmm. and held hands in circles and began praying. And that prayer on behalf of our son, 
never stopped. We just kept going all day long. Some people brought food. Some, one person offered for us to stay at their apartment, which was nearby. And the pastors and elders of our church went into that emergency room, and they laid hands on Josiah and prayed for him. And one of them felt his little toe moving. Mm. And uh, God began to stir life within him. And several hours later, he opened his eyes and looked around and wondered why all these people were standing around him. And uh, the next day, he was released by that same doctor who, who told us it would require divine intervention. And he said, he's totally restored. He's healthy. Can't find anything else wrong with him. Isn't that awesome? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so. <clears throat> yeah it, it, to be a part of that uh, was incredible um, just to see the outpouring of the church you were involved with at the time and um, Lisa reminded me of when I came in to pray for Josiah he uh, hadn't responded to anyone yet oh, I said hey Josiah and he looked at me and I said oh yeah he's doing great Paul and, and you said he's never responded to anybody's voice. I don't know if you remember that. I had forgotten. Lisa told me about it. And so I just felt so powerful, you know. But, <laughs> uh, actually, it, it turned out it was God the whole time. <laughs> okay. So, so uh, no, but I mean, but here, here's the thing. And here's what I want us to understand because this is so vitally important. It's so critical that we get this. As you read this book, um, you'll begin to understand that had it not worked out that way, the book would have been written the same. And, and I mean, am, am I, am I Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And, and uh, the point of this event was not at all to say that if you have enough faith, God's going to heal your child. I just simply don't believe that. That's not the point. And I have close friends, close friends in Florida who lost their daughter. And they prayed with as much desperation uh, as we prayed. Mm -hmm. um, and their daughter was not restored to them. But that God had his plans and purposes for that event for other reasons. Yeah. And it was to uh, help me and my family to understand that, and for me as a father and as a husband, to understand that I was about to take my family into the world's largest Islamic country and to begin to try to do ministry and start Christian schools there and that he was going to be with us and watch over us and that we could, we would never ever need to doubt that need to doubt that he would be our strength that he would be our presence that no matter where he called us to go he would be with us yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. and and so by God's grace you know for the last 11 years we've walked in that awareness yeah, that God is so with cool. us every single day that's so cool. Um, let's talk about prayer for a little bit because you, in your book, um, you look at prayer a little differently than uh, some of us might. And that you, you, you see prayer really as almost an, I, not, you, it's agonizing. Like from the standpoint of, of rest, you, you see prayer as wrestling. You see prayer as, as kind of trying to get yourself to understand the eternal. I mean, is that, I, I see prayer as agonizing, and faith itself is agonizing because of our fallen condition. We have 
by, by our fallenness, and I'm, and I'm talking about our sin that we live in, this condition that we live in, how the eyes of our souls have closed. Hmm. They have been closed, and, and our vision has been limited to uh, what we can touch and taste and see with our physical eyes. And anything beyond that, uh, we are blind. And this was a major issue that <coughs> Jesus had with people. He said, you can see, but you're blind. He called people whose eyes could see blind. Mm. And Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And so prayer is agonizing because prayer is wrenching ourselves up out of this sort of this cave you know, this mud that we're drowning in that simply has this awareness of such, in such limited, almost claustrophobic ways that we just cannot see or understand what God is doing. Mm. And prayer is this, is this moment when we wrench ourselves up out of that and say, God, open my eyes. And, and we sort of climb out of this quicksand um, and breathe for a moment, just... <gasps> You know, it's in that prayer that we rise up and we breathe just this oxygen in. And, and our eyes are open and we catch a, just a glimpse mm. of God's power and his beauty and his, that he's working and breathing life and responding and creating all around us, yeah. you know. And, and I see prayer as sort of that process of coming up into faith, if yeah. even just for a moment, um, so yeah it's it's just so I, yeah. different than uh, than you know lord bless my day you know help me get the promotion help me to do that i mean there's a sense of lord let me see with your eyes let me hear with your ears and uh, this this is a prayer that i know you pray with your family at, at breakfast every morning but let me see, uh, hear with my ears let me see with my eyes let me uh, experience with my heart kind of the brokenness and um Oh, the, the other kind of theme throughout the book that I wanted to touch on uh, real quick, uh, it, it, re it really is an amazing book, I'm, I'm not kidding, um, is this idea of God as an artist, God as, as a creator, and that in, within each of us, we are an artist, we are a creator, and, and so for some of us, even while I say that, they think, well, I can't draw, I can't paint, I can't sing, I can't do all this stuff, but in your book, you kind of... Um, uh, 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 give, give an idea that our own dreams and kind of like everything around us it, when we make a casserole when we solve an equation when we do all these things it's, it's just kind of that idea of God just kind of birthing this creativity within us you know the the, the person that I introduced <coughs> this idea with in this book is my grandmother who you knew yeah 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 uh, and I, yeah, I show awesome. how you know here she was in her 80s uh, and she'd never sung in the church choir. She'd never been in a drama. She'd never lifted a paintbrush. You know, you just wouldn't call her an artist. But then I just say she is a creative prodigy. Mm. And why, is she, why was she a creative prodigy? It's because she somehow found this ability to take the raw materials of her life, in which really involved a lot of pain and suffering. You know, her husband... Uh, died of, uh, my grandfather died of cancer, left her alone with four little boys, and she somehow took that pain and created a work of art out of her life and 
regardless of all that she had been through, and I could go on and on and on about the pain and suffering that she had been through, but she didn't respond with despair. Mm -hmm. She took this raw material of her life that God had brought before her, and she created hope. And everywhere she went, everywhere, without fail, (laughs) in my experience, she was a voice of hope to the world around her. She was so loving and caring. And hundreds of people's lives were touched yeah. by her. And so I'm, I'm sort of redefining creativity yeah. in this book. And, and this, art, this idea that there are these select few artists, and they're the ones who have been entrusted with this creative gift. And everybody else has to just sort of stand on the sidelines of creativity and be disconnected from God who breathes beauty yeah. and, and inspires us to create these works of art in the world around us. I'm just trying to shatter that way of thinking and that all of us are created to have an effect of God's beauty and love and hope in the world around us in some unique and beautiful way. Yeah. One of the stories I love in the book, and I'd love for you to share it right now, is um, this idea that, that we all... God has birthed in us these dreams, these hopes and dreams that we have that kind of are in line with his spirit. Again, it's not like a health and wealth thing. It's just about how God has moved us to, to dream big dreams in the spirit. If, if I could, man, if, if I were, if my life were completely sold out to Jesus, what would it look like? And, and for us in the U.S., dreams and visions and all that are kind of, you know, you kind of look at them with suspect, but in Indonesia... Um, uh, dreams are uh, common and God actually ministers to people through their dreams who might not even know God. Share, share the story about the waiter that I, I like. Oh, that. yeah. My, uh, I had two friends arrived from the States. They were just kind of coming out to Indonesia for a few weeks. And I picked them up at the airport and we went to the hotel. We were going to stay that night. And uh, we're sitting there in the restaurant and uh, the waiter came and said, can I bring you something to drink? And so we ordered some lemonade and uh, Then my friend Jim said to the waiter, get yourself one too and come sit down with us. And so the waiter was a little bit surprised. He said, okay. And so he came, he sat down, we had four drinks. And uh, so I shared with, I asked him this question, could you share with us your dreams? Which is a question I love to ask people. Do, do, do your Indonesian thing with that, because somebody asked, can he speak in Indonesian? So, <laughs> so. Tolong membagikan mimpian anda dengan kami. Okay, so don't... Yeah. D- Got it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I got it. I'm (laughs) actually fluent in Indonesian. Okay. So, uh, yeah. You didn't, you failed Spanish, didn't you? Pretty close. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Pretty close. Who would have known? Okay. (laughs) Good. Yeah. Uh, So this man said, he thought he heard me say, share with me about your dream, which is almost exactly the same word, just like in English, dream, dreams. And so he looked at me with a startled expression. How did you know? about my dream. Again, was, God was working even was, in, in yeah, your bad translation. Mo- yeah. <laughs> there was this moment of <laughs> silence, and he said, okay, I'll share with you my dream. And he went on to tell us about how he was the youngest of seven brothers, raised in a, a Muslim family, and how one night he was sound asleep, and he had a dream. And in this dream, a man appeared to him. This man was wearing a dazzling white garment, and he identified himself as Isa. And Isa is the Arabic word for Jesus. And this, uh, this young man woke up from this dream 
and immediately went out in order to find a church because he identified Isa with mm -hmm. Christians. And so he went into a church on a weekday. The door was open. He walked into the sanctuary, and nobody was there. He couldn't find anyone to talk to. But he saw a Bible there, and so he stole it. <laughs> and Which is perfectly acceptable, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and he brought it home, and uh, he snuck it into his bedroom and read it from cover to cover, secretly, so his, his family didn't see. And he was so stirred, so confronted by what he read in this book that he went back to that church and did track down the pastor and was in the process of being discipled by this pastor. And that's when my friends and I engaged in this conversation with him. That's but this, this, here's the amazing thing, John, is it's not just him. This is happening with hundreds of people in our city. My friend Mike, a close friend of mine, in fact, he's, he has several stories in this book and encouraged me to write this book. He has planted a church simply by asking people to share with him about if they've ever had a dream in which Isa has appeared. And his experience talking with men, whether it be farmers or taxi drivers, people that he encounters on the street, restaurant owners, about one in every four say yes. Yeah. And he started a church simply from the people that have said yes to that. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just amazing. I mean, God, God really is on the move all over the world, yeah, isn't And he? that's where this idea, this framework of thinking that says <laughs> God did all these amazing things thousands of years ago, and then he sort of shut off his story and then went to sleep. And ever since, you know, the end of Revelation, the church has been in chaos, you know, trying to figure out like sheep without a shepherd, right? Mm -hmm. It's totally false. That's a lie from Satan. God is working now, doing his miracles, writing his stories now in this moment as much as he ever did in the past. Mm -hmm. And we, we live in that. That's faith, is trusting that, believing that, and then just saying, God, I want to be part of the stories you're writing in my life today. Oh, amen. Amen. That is, that is awesome. Uh, great job. Great text questions, by the way. I hope I, I tried to, like, embed them into where we were going, and so I, I hope you got that. Um, I wanted to share just a couple ways, because after you hear something like this and you think, well, I want to go change the world, um, and you should, uh, there are a couple of ways you can do that. Uh, one of the things we've done is, in uh, we weren't kidding around, inside your bulletin, I put in five of those little handouts. And maybe for some of you who are scared to death to invite someone to church, and I, to be honest, I don't even care if you invite them to this church. Just get them to some church that preaches the word. But just that risk of going, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump on the bus of what God's doing. And you just say, hey, and that's why we have a door. Um, that program is where all the chairs will be gone. There'll be um, um, curtains that kind of come in and give different stations. It's from six to nine. You can come in and stay as long or as short as you want. But it's a great place to invite someone and just say, look, it's a place to connect with God. It's very, um, uh, it, 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 it's awesome. The, the, the experience is awesome. Uh, but that's on that card. And so maybe for you, that's, that's a risk. For you, it might be something else uh, without that. It might be going to a neighbor. It might be talking to that person. It might be saying to somebody, look, can I pray for you right now over what you're going through? Another way we have a way for you to stretch yourself, and the reason Paul and I are, and I'm sorry, we're going over a little bit this morning, but that's okay. 
The reason Paul and I are here, sitting up here right now, uh, we both agree in, in very, very large part, is because we had somebody in high school mentor us. And his name was Calvin. And if the Lord wills, we'll be playing golf with him on Tuesday. But um, he looks a lot older than he did when we were kids. Okay, so, uh, so he looked at us like, oh my gosh, I'm so old. I don't know why he'd say that, but um, I thought I looked the same as I did in high school. But I mean, this, and, and the thing is, and, and this is why it's so important to read this book, is because you get to the end and you feel like, you know what, I can do something for God. I, I don't have to have it all figured out. And, um, and so we have a table in the back for our youth ministry. And our youth ministry is going through phenomenal change. It's going through growth. And we need leaders. And so, uh, and you say, I'm too old. You, you are, that, uh, like Paul was saying, that is just a lie. I mean, that's just, that's just a lie. Well, one of the stories in the book, I don't mean to monopolize your time, but it is my church. But um, So um, <laughs> one of the stories in the book is about this 85-year-old man that Paul would come to listen to, to stories. He would pray over him in the, I mean, in the spirit and just, it was just awesome, awesome. If you're 85, year old and you lo- 85 years old and you love Jesus and you have a heart for the youth, join the youth ministry. You don't have to ride the roller coasters and stuff. I don't. You know, but um, and this this man Calvin that you're just referring to, yeah. you know, John and I were 15, 16 years old in his Bible study, and so every was it Wednesday night? Yeah, we just he tore would show that up, and, up. And, and all of us, and so Calvin would would try to teach us this Bible study, and <laughs> he would pray, and as he was praying, he was the only person in the room with his eyes closed, and the rest of us were throwing things and making noises and clowning around, yeah. and he had no idea that his love for us was just totally affecting us oh, in yeah. a way that we would never, ever forget. Yeah. And, and our lives were profoundly influenced by him, and he, he wouldn't have known it at that time. No he? way, no way. As a matter of fact, he didn't. We, we went out to coffee with him the other day, and uh, he was talking about the first thing that the youth did was a bowling night, and that he was responsible for us. And I'm telling you, we... <laughs> I'm, I just... Lord, don't let Paul share any of the stories of us in high school. But we were, t- we were horrible. I mean, we were horrible, evil, young men. And so we went out to go bowling, and he t- was telling us a story that he remembers. We, would just, we were just all off in the other side, just laughing, laughing. And he'd bowl, and we, we were like little girls. I mean, it was just like the whole thing. And he said, he said, John and, and Paul, because Paul was there, I felt so intimidated because I thought you were laughing at me. And I, now here, here's the amazing thing. He discipled us for three years. Yeah. He discipled us for three years. And he had me discipling as a senior, a freshman. And he, he, he worked through all that. And it's so much like this, life on the edge where you say, I don't want to work with high schoolers or junior highers. I, I got, you know, if you're like me, I got beat up in junior high a lot. As you can imagine, <laughs> I kind of had a big mouth. But, uh, and, and so maybe that's you. Maybe like being around junior hires and hearing them giggle and maybe all those insecurities come up. Listen, yes, it's going to be hard. It's going to be a risk. A certain risk, if I might, but uh, it, it's going to be risky. There's going to be times you're going to go home and go, why in the world am I doing this? They're so stupid. They're so, 
They don't pay attention. They're, you know, back in my day, we were, you know, all that kind of stuff. And the Lord wants to, hold, wants to just go, isn't it awesome? Isn't it amazing to see life being, tra- just wait, it's coming, it's coming. And, and uh, yeah, I don't know. So uh, that's available in the back. And you can just get information. There's many different things for you to do. Um, for some, it's just going to be, you're going to be assigned four kids. And your job is just to meet with them every couple weeks, go to, out to breakfast with them, show up at their events, love them. You don't have to know the whole Bible. You, don't have to, you just need to love them. And uh, you, you're, you're, you're uh, you know, I just want to read one last thing real quick because this is, this is just, it goes along with it, and then we're going to end, and you can kill me later for being uh, over time, but it, this goes right along with it. If I can find that thing on Eternity in Microsoft. Um, uh, oh, here it is. Yeah, I think I found it here. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's talking about um, this guy who is a, um, eye surgeon and uh, in Afghanistan. And when the war broke out with the Russians, was that that war? Okay. When the war broke out with the Russians, everybody was fleeing. And uh, he turned his face into the storm and started uh, doing eye surgery for the people who were ravaged by this battle. And, and here's, what he, here's what Paul writes on this, and, and we'll close with this. From an eternal perspective, this was something like dropping one's life savings into Microsoft in 1976. That's the the reward, the eternal reward this guy got. It would be like if you dropped your whole life savings into Microsoft in 1976. That would have been a good investment, by the way. Uh, Instead of running for safety, this remarkable couple made an astonishing decision. They turned their faces toward the storm. By faith, they stepped forward into a certain risk.